0: At this time, uh, I invite you to kneel with me if it's possible for you to do so. And let's come before the Lord in prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy holy name. Father, we thank you and praise you for whom and what you are. John tells us that you are love. You are agape you you esteem others better than yourself and we see this in that while we were yet sinners you sent jesus to to show us the way and and to die a death that we deserve and so lord that crushes our heart and we, we see our need and we accept jesus and we pray that you forgive us our sins there's so many uh, lord we pray for the holy spirit to be poured out as promised to help us to live a, a righteous life and And to share the truth with others and to be more like our Savior and esteeming others better than ourselves. And to be humble servants. May we learn how to be humble like Jesus is, step by step. Father, I pray for those who who made requests today. Uh, We pray for uh, our uh, dear one, Jerry, in Battle Creek, who um, has questions about where she's going to be living. And uh, that's very stressful. And, and I pray that you'll be with her family and uh, her as they discuss these things and that you will make a way. I do know this, Lord, that as she seeks your kingdom and righteousness, her housing will be taken care of. And so, Lord, I, I hold to that promise. Uh, we pray for her daughter, Kelly, with fibromyalgia. We pray that you'll be near to her and, and uh, uh, help lead her into... Uh, there are forms needed that will make her healthy. The same for all of us, Lord. Uh, I pray uh, for uh, Bob, who's seeking uh, employment there in Michigan, and for Rollin, our dear friend, um, that he too will find uh, the course that you have for him. A uh, silent prayer request today by Springleaf and, and Alex. Uh, you know what's on their heart. Uh, be with those who are joining us, Lord. Bless your saints this day as you've promised. And as we discuss and look at the, uh, what the scriptures have to say about who and what the church is, give me the words to speak, Lord, and that uh, they will be clear, bring thoughts to my mind you wish conveyed uh, to the congregation. May we all come to the knowledge of the truth and to salvation in Jesus, we pray. Amen. Continuing in our study, this series uh, that I have entitled, This is My Body, Defining God's Church. Uh, This is uh, a message um, uh, that I have entitled, All for One. And uh, this is part one of All for One. You know, as a child, I lived somewhat in the country, surrounded by woods, and uh, my younger brother and I spent a great deal of time playing in the woods. We played different things. We basically played different roles. We had different heroes growing up. Now, uh, you haven't heard my testimony. I wasn't raised in any type of religion, any type of church, really. And so uh, keep that in mind. I share certain things about my childhood and such. But uh, we had a great deal uh, of, of fun playing in the woods uh, we played cowboys and Indians, you know. We we played what we called army. I don't know. Some of the young guys here might go, oh yeah, army. Uh, it's not like today, but uh, um, GI Joe. He was one of our our heroes. There were toys, you know, GI Joe toys and those kinds of things. Uh, but one of our favorite role playing adventures was portraying the Three Musketeers. And you know, all you needed was a nice a solid stick. Isn't that right, Alex? You get a nice solid stick, and I'll tell you what, you put some young boys together, and they'll find a stick, and the next thing you'll know, they'll be using them as swords. It's almost like it's ingrained in us. I don't know. But uh, uh, you get a a solid stick, and that was your sword, and you'd become the defender of the king. You know, in the novel, The Three Musketeers, by Alexander Dumas, the group of French musketeers named... uh, Athos, Porthos, Aramis, and D'Artagnan, they stayed loyal to each other um, through thick and thin. They had a bond there. And do you know what their motto was? I think everybody knows what their motto was. What was their motto? All for one, one for all. Yeah. One for all and all for one. It's a Latin, un por tus, tus por un. It's sometimes said, as you said, all for one and one for all. It's said either way. Unity through thick and thin, no matter the circumstances. All for one and one for all. One for all, all for one. Now it would seem to me, as I've studied the word of God, as I've seen uh, Jesus and uh, the truth portrayed in his word, it would seem to me that this is an accurate motto for the kingdom of God in describing his relationship towards his servants and his servants towards him. Our loving God gave His Son for all. And those who accept that most precious gift give all for Him. So I think what an apt motto for the love and unity in the family of God. As I said, we've been studying what the Bible has to say in defining God's church. We've been looking at 10 primary characteristics of the church as described in His Word. Quickly, the first one, it's going to have the nature of Christ. It's going to, going to be made up of members that are born again, born again believers, humanity and divinity combined. Uh, it's going to be a spiritual house with Christ at the head. Uh, it's a, a, the a spiritual seed of Abraham, not the fleshly seed of Ishmael. And that means that there, there are covenant-keeping people And God writes it on their hearts, and the Sabbath is a sign of that covenant. Uh, The church is going to be a light that leads the way, again, to Christ as the the head. It's going to lead to Christ, that city on the hill. Uh, It's going to have the gifts and bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and that includes the testimony of Jesus or the, the spirit of prophecy. It's going to stand upon the foundation of truth, especially present truth. And our present truth is found in Revelation 14, the three angels' messages. It's going to be sharing the three angels' messages unabridgedly, without fear. It's going to have the faith of Jesus or righteousness by faith. It's going to keep the law of God, all ten commandments, including the fourth one, but all the other nine as well, friends. It will be a vibrant or healthy and a church and living in Christ, that's why it's healthy. A true fellowship of believers, that's what we looked at last time. And the tenth characteristic, it's going to have godly love and unity. They're going to be in unity in doctrine, they're going to be organized because of these things. And uh, we're going to look at the number ten here. The body of Christ, His church will have godly love and unity. One for all, and all for one. <laughs> so I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Psalms 133 as we begin. Psalms 133. You know, David sang this psalm when he, his relatives and friends were in hiding in the cave of Adullam. He actually sang this hymn. He even penned uh, Psalms 57 in this place as well. And of course, you know, I love the psalms, but uh, but notice this. Here he is, he's in in. Uh, this cave, he's, he's singing this Psalms 133. And it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That's verse 1, yes. Psalms 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. This is... You know, you have to do a little bit of digging when you study God's Word. We're to search the Scriptures, aren't we? Not just read them. We're to search them. You search out and you you do a little background on Psalms 133. You find that the the oil described here uh, by the psalmist was sacred oil. It it had a sweet perfume to it. It was holy. And it was diffusive. You could smell it. it. It just diffused everywhere. And when it was poured upon Aaron's head, it dropped upon his garments. And so, so it is with brotherly love, you see. It blesses all with its sweet and holy influence. People are attracted to love, friends. There the psalmist said, the dew of Hermon. That was a symbol of, uh, to the Hebrews of refreshment. And so agape love born of heaven refreshes and it revives. It's a foretaste of the fellowship that's enjoyed and will be enjoyed with us in our heavenly home. And so the psalmist is declaring how good it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, that unity that exists in God's kingdom. Now the Hebrew word for unity in this verse is Yokad. It's Strong's number 3162. And it simply means a unit. It means unitedly. It means alike or together. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Together. Unitedly. All for one. I like to use Webster's 1828 dictionary in defining words. I think you know that. (laughs) and but maybe you don't know why it's reported that noah webster's 1828 dictionary contains the greatest number of biblical definitions given in any reference volume you see noah webster considered education uh, useless he says without the bible isn't that something he considered education useless Without the Bible. Useless. And I'll say an amen to that. You know, uh, we homeschooled our children. The most important thing in training our children is to know God's word. And if that was the only thing a prophet of the end times even says, if the only thing you can do is teach your children from God's word, you have no worries, friends. You can learn your reading skills, your math skills, your writing skills just need a bible. And so here no Webster, or uh, uh, um, yeah, no Webster. He pinned this and he he considered education useless without the bible and as a result he utilized God's written word as a key to the meaning of words. And this is the greatest, it's the greatest reason why I use the 1828 edition of his, the dictionary his dictionary now this is what noah webster included in his 1828 dictionary under the word unity unity that's a noun he says it's the state of being one oneness second definition he says concord or conjunction The third definition, he says, agreement, uniformity, as unity of doctrine. You see that? Unity of worship in a church. Isn't that interesting? Fourth definition, he says, in Christian theology, oneness of sentiment, affection, or behavior. And then he quotes, what do you think he quotes? Psalms 133 and verse 1 how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. In theology, oneness of sentiment, affection, behavior. He goes on, he says, Unity of faith is an equal belief of the same truth of God and possession of the grace of faith in like form and degree. Unity of spirit is the oneness which subsists between Christ and his saints, by which the same spirit dwells in both, and both have the same disposition and aims. And it is the oneness of Christians among themselves, united under the same head, having the same spirit dwelling in them, and possessing the same graces, faith, love, hope, etc. Now, friends, I, you know, just as a side note, if you pick up a, a latest edition, a college edition of Webster's, and you look up Unity, you're not going to find these things. You see, the, the truth, quote, has evolved. That's what the progressives would tell you. That's what the evolutionists would tell you. Everything evolves and becomes better. Well, we know that the opposite is true sin doesn't make things better. And so friends there is nothing more precious as the psalmist was telling us than true unity in the lord it's what the lord desires and long he longs for in our home between husbands and wives and children and parents that's what he longs for in the church it is the thing that will allow him you see to pour out more of his blessings upon us and give us a greater than pentecost experience that loud cry We receive the latter rain and we can finish the work. And the 144,000 will be in complete unity of faith and spirit, true unity in Christ, all for one. And Jesus wanted unity for his disciples. You know, when you go back and you look at it, they were in contention during his, his whole time with them. He picked men whom he thought he could teach, but for all three years that he was with them, He was never able to bring them into true unity. I find that remarkable and interesting. It just shows, friends, how deep are the prejudice, discord, and pride of the human heart. Jesus could not bring unity to his disciples before his death. They came into unity sometime after they saw Jesus hanging on the cross. And this is an important point to note, beloved. There is no unity Without the cross of Jesus, as Paul says in First Corinthians 15:17, "If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. You see, beloved sin is based in selfishness, and there cannot be true unity when all are primarily just for themselves. No real bond of unity exists between sinful human beings. To experience true unity, we we must come to the, the cross of Christ. We need to understand what it means and then accept what it means and accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. You know, in the Old Testament, this was done by faith in the sacrificial offerings that pointed to the Redeemer. But in the New Testament, this is done by faith in the death and resurrection of the one who is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. John tells us in Revelation 13:8, describing Jesus as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so the death and the resurrection of Jesus awakened the disciples to the truth about God and the truth about themselves. They then understood more perfectly uh, their condition. They understood more perfectly the doctrine of God and they chose to have life by giving theirs to Christ. And by giving themselves completely to Him, they were brought step by step into perfect unity. The unity that Jesus had prayed for. And we know that they came into complete unity shortly after Jesus ascended to heaven. We read in Acts 2 and verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. All for one. And I'll tell you, the Greek word there for one accord is better rendered unanimous. No longer was there dissension. It was all put away because of Jesus. There in that home they were finally in true unity. And the Holy Spirit was then able to pour out upon them the power of God to do His mighty work. But friends, how they were in contention throughout His ministry those three and a half years before. How it hurt the heart of Jesus. How it must hurt His heart today. to see so much division and, and disunity among His professed people. And I'll tell you, His hurt must become our hurt too if anything is to be done about it. We must go to the same cross and be converted afresh each day if we are to be in union with God and each other. Do you believe that? Now, we're going to look at a few verses in John chapters 13 through 17. These are all accounts of, of uh, Jesus' discourse with the disciples on his last night on earth with them. And I'll ask you, what was his burden for them? And I'll tell you, he's had this same burden ever since. What was his burden for them? John 13. It says in verse 33, it says, little children, this is Jesus speaking, he says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you. What was the new commandment? That you love one another as I have loved you. That ye also love one another. By this... This love shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now I know we covered this a bit in our last study, but I want to touch on it again, as it's so important for us to understand exactly what Jesus is saying to us. Let me ask you a question. Did the disciples have the Ten Commandments? Did they have the Ten Commandments? Well, sure they did. Alex's agreement. He's shaking his head yes. They did. They had the scriptures concerning the doctrines and law of God. They believed that you shouldn't worship any other gods. They should not have any idols. They should not take the name of God in vain. You you should keep the seventh day Sabbath as holy. Honor your parents. Uh, Shouldn't murder and they should not steal. They should not commit adultery. They should not bear false witness. They should not covet. They knew these things. They believed this. They had these commandments. But Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. And in fact, Jesus was actually referring to the commandment there in Leviticus 19 and verse 18, which says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's what he was referring to. But somehow, you see, it had not found a place in their hearts. They had the scriptures, they had the commandments, but they didn't have this love. Does it sound familiar? So Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment, that you'll love one another as I've loved you. Now the Greek word for love in this verse there in John 13, which we've covered before, is agape. And again, it means unselfish goodwill. It means brotherly love, affection, charity, benevolence. Sometimes it's rendered a love feast or a feast of charity. But you see, it's a love that adds principle to the feelings that we have in such a way that principle controls the feelings. It brings into play the higher powers of the mind and intelligence, not just emotions. In other words, a constant, fervent manifestation of love, rather than just, you know, isolated incidents of of giving or charity. No, friends, true love, agape, is constant and it has its source in God. And this is the love that Jesus is talking about. And we can have this agape each moment, only by His grace. And with this love comes true unity with God and with our fellow man. It comes with this love. And as I said, Jesus was referring to Leviticus 19 and verse 18, which isn't new. But the command was new, you see, in that a new demonstration had been given of love. By his revelation of his Father's character, Jesus shared a new concept of the love of God. That's why he says, "You're to love one another as I have loved you." Let me ask you: Maybe it's a maybe it's a, a too simple a question. Maybe it's you know might sound like a dumb question, but. Did the disciples really have a love one for another? No. Now someone says yes and someone says no. Well, sometimes, but not always. Sometimes, but not always. Well, it depends on the type of love, doesn't it? Right. But did they have agape for one another? Mm-hmm. If they did, would Jesus have been saying, "A new command I give unto you"? No. They were always in contention, weren't they? striving to see who was going to be first in the kingdom. Who's going to sit at the right hand of Christ and who's going to sit at the left. And see, Jesus said a new commandment. And the new commandment enjoined men to preserve the same relationship with one another that Jesus had cultivated with them. Where the old commandment enjoined uh, men to love their neighbors as themselves, the new Urge them to love as Jesus had loved, see? And so Jesus said, if you love one another, as I have loved you, by this all men are going to know that you're my disciples, that you follow me. Because as John said, God is love. And I'll tell you, friends, that's where unity and the power of God come into play in our life. That is when God can give the power to His people, His church to finish this work. It's when we have agape reigning in our hearts and we become united with God. And when we become united with God, we become united with each other. You see, now let me tell you this, it is love, this agape that is the basis of true unity. Let me repeat it again. It is love, agape, that is the basis of true unity. Jesus went on to say in John chapter 15, verse 9, He says, As the Father hath loved Me, so have I loved you. Continue, He says, continue ye in My love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. Whose joy? His joy. The source of true joy comes from Christ. And he says that it will remain in you that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. And Paul says, this is the most important thing that we can have. If we have everything else, but we have not this love, this agape, we don't have anything at all. We studied this morning about uh, Paul coming before Agrippa. And here was all this pomp and this display and all this material wealth and, and power that meant nothing in the eyes of God. What means something in the eyes of God? Jesus is telling us right here to love one another as I have loved you. We have everything else, but we have not this love. We don't have anything. Let me share this with you. It's from Acts of the Apostles, page 318. No matter how high the profession, he whose heart is not filled with love for God and his fellow men is not a true disciple of Christ. Though he should possess great faith and have power even to work miracles, yet without love his faith would be worthless. He might display great liberality, but should he, from some other motive than genuine love, bestow all his goods to feed the poor, the act would not commend him to the favor of God. In his zeal he might even meet a martyr's death, yet if not actuated by, what, love, agape, he would be regarded by God as a deluded enthusiast or an ambitious hypocrite. I said, true unity, friends, is, has its source in love. It's love that is the basis of true unity. It is agape. And so here Jesus is telling him, he's saying, you know, he's trying to impress uh, upon his disciples that the, they are in desperate need. Lord, what do you mean? He says. This is. can you imagine their response? Surely we have love. We dwell together. We live together. We eat together. We've we've been with each other for three years. Surely if we didn't love each other, we would have been gone a long time ago. But Jesus said, no, no. This is a new commandment for you. I want you to learn to love just as I love. Greater love hath no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. This is what I want you to learn. And when he's talking about laying down his life, he's not necessarily talking, he's not really specifically talking about dying for each other. He's talking about becoming a servant to each other. Laying your life aside, and picking up the towel and washing each other's feet. he commanded them to love now someone says you know i just cannot have love for my neighbor not that kind of love but jesus said this is a new command i take that to be very serious it's not a suggestion jesus didn't say a new suggestion i give unto you he didn't say i want to encourage you to do this no he said this is a command And people say, well, I I just can't do it. Can we keep the commandments of God? There are people who today teach, ministers teach all around the world, it's impossible to keep the commandments of God. Well, let me share this with you. Christ's Object Lessons, page 333. The heavenly intelligences will work with the human agent who seeks with determined faith that perfection of character, which will reach out to perfection in action. To everyone engaged in this work, Christ says, I am at your right hand to help you. As the will of man cooperates, I want you to pay attention to this one. This is is just powerful. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. You know what omnipotent means? All powerful. Power that comes from God. She's saying... As our will cooperates with the will of God, our will becomes omnipotent. That's remarkable. But it has to be so, friends. She says whatever is to be done at His command may be accomplished in His strength. All His biddings are enablings, and that's the key. Jesus doesn't give us commands that there is impossible for us to obey. It is impossible for us to obey in our own strength. But when we cooperate, with our will cooperates with His will, it becomes omnipotent. And so His commands may be accomplished in His strength. In other words, when God commands you to do something, He gives you the strength to do it. Husbands are commanded to love their wives. Do you know that? It's God's word. Husbands are commanded to love their wives. They're not asked to love their wives. They're not encouraged. Well, I'm sure you're going to be encouraged to. It's not a suggestion to love your wife. They're commanded to love their wives. And I've heard heard men reject this and say, I can't love her. I've lost that first flickering flame that I had. It got extinguished somewhere along the line. We just don't love each other anymore. Well, the Bible commands you to love her. So you're in quite a, a quandary, aren't you? But friends, whenever God commands, He gives you the power to do it. He can give you the desires. That's His specialty, changing our desires from unrighteous to righteous. Righteous. Love's not some fickle thing that floats around in the air someplace. It's a principle that God plants in the heart. And I'll tell you, friends, that that if you've not learned to cultivate love in your heart and in the home, you will not have a lot of love in the church either. It has to begin individually and at home. God has commanded us to love one another and that is agape, which has its source in God. God is commanding you to do it and He's giving you the power to do it. Do you believe God? Friends, start in your home with your children, your wife or your husband. Bring it into the church. Spread it around the community. Have faith. Love one another as Jesus has loved you. He's commanded you to and He will enable you to. All discord is the opposite of unity. All discord has its root in selfishness. You know, envy, pride, jealousy, fault finding. All these things are rooted in selfishness. Unity has its root in love. You, you know, true love brings true Unity selfishness brings discord. I guess that's the simple difference between the two. True love brings true unity, selfishness brings discord. True agape leads to true unity and it will be found in God's people and thus His church. And I'm not talking about unity and error. There is that. You know, this ecumenism where we put aside truth just to get along. I'm talking about true love that leads to true unity and it's the character trait of God's true church you see friends there's going to be two different types of unity in the world before jesus comes there's going to be a false unity the entire world is going to be united behind the beast that's really not based in love is it except love herself and that's not agape The entire world's going to follow the beast. Unity with Christ or unity with the beast is going to be the choice. It's one or the other. And I'm going to tell you something. If you haven't figured it out yet, it actually starts now. When you hear the message of Christ, you've got a decision to make. Don't be like Agrippa. Almost thou persuadest me. Think seriously about it. Unity with Christ or unity with the beast is going to be the choice. To be united with Christ means to be a member of his church. If you're you're not united with Christ, you know something? You're already united with Antichrist. That's the big deception. That's the thing that everybody doesn't, doesn't see. If you're not united with Christ right now, you're united with Antichrist and you don't even know it. You see, to be united with Christ means we each will be united in love. Listen to this. Signs of the Times, December 28, 1891. Wherever a soul is united to Christ, there is love. Whatever else the character may possess, it is valueless without love. Not love that is soft Weak, sentimental. But such love as dwells in the heart of Christ. Without love, everything else profiteth nothing, for it cannot possibly represent Christ, who is love. Now, I've shared that before. But let that sink in. Wherever a soul is united to Christ, there is love. You see, because it's the love of God, that agape, that has crushed our heart, and we see what we need, we see our guiltiness, and Jesus has promised to remove that for us because He loves us. And then, love for Him dwells up within our own heart. And appreciation. And we give ourselves to Him. All for one. So if we're united with Christ, it means we will each be united in love. If we are united with Christ, we will be united with each other. Notice this from Our High Calling, page 96. If we are united with Christ, we will be united with each other. Our High Calling, page 96. Notice what she says. If we draw nigh to God individually, then don't you see what the result will be? Can't you see that we will draw nigh to one another? We cannot draw nigh, that means close, to God and come to the same cross without our hearts being blended together in perfect unity, answering the prayer of Christ that there may be, that they may be one as He is one with the Father. And therefore we should seek in spirit, in understanding, in faith, that we may be one, that God may be glorified in us as He is glorified in the Son, and that God shall love us as He loves the Son. So you see, friends, to be united with Christ means we each will be united in love. And if we are united with Christ, we will be united with each other. But how do we draw close to God and thus each other? In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said, If ye continue in my word, he says, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth. And the truth shall what? Make you free. Free of what? Free of sin. Free of guilt. Free of the devil. Because you're one with the Son. In John 17, 17, we know this. Jesus was praying. He said, sanctify them, his disciples, through thy truth, thy word is truth. This is how we draw, and draw nigh to God. In John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. we got to be listening for His voice. Isn't that right? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So friends, if we follow Jesus, we will be a member of His church, for where Jesus is, remember what? There is his church. And to be united with Jesus brings what? It brings love, agape, into our heart, into our disposition, as the truth is written into our minds, as we are being sanctified by that truth, as we continue in his word. Jesus goes on. If you go back to John chapter 7, verse 16. Jesus says, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, what's his will? Well, his will is his doctrine. It's his law. It's his character traits. It's his love, friends. So Jesus says, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. So friends, the doctrine of Jesus, as I said, is the truth. For God cannot lie. The Bible tells us God cannot lie. And those who follow him will be following the truth, who is Jesus. The church, having Jesus, the truth, as the head the chief cornerstone, is then established upon the truth of God in Jesus. Do you see? As Paul said to Timothy, 1 Timothy three sixteen, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. In fact, it's been the same organization from the very beginning. God's organization is founded upon love based upon the truth that God is and He is love. When you say God is not love or you begin to change the doctrine of Christ in any way, you're creating a new organization. (laughs) That's what Satan did. So you go from the family of God to the family of Antichrist. Because there's only two families, friends. And those who are united with Jesus will be united in doctrine, for their doctrine will be Jesus, who is the pillar and ground of the truth. And those who are united in the doctrine of Christ are members of the church of God, whether they're scattered at the moment or organized. Being united in Christ will lead to being organized for service because our primary mission is to reach others with the doctrine of Christ. In 2 John chapter 1, in verse 9, John tells us, he says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed speed is partaker of his evil deeds. What's John saying here to us? Transgressors are those who don't abide in the doctrine of Christ. They don't have God in their heart. They don't have love. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? They don't have that love. John is drawing the line, see, between those who are in unity with Christ and those who are not. And one of the tests is whether or not they have the doctrine of Christ. Well, it seems like common sense for me to say this, but you can't be a member of the church of God if you don't have God. Does that make sense? Now, transgression takes many forms, but John is saying that those who twist Bible doctrines by, by adding to or taking away from its true meaning are not members of the church of God. That's why Jesus was saying, you know, if, you're, if you are in God, you'll know, if you're obeying God, if you're doing His will, you'll know of the doctrine. See? See? Not only that, he says, you come across these people, and we've, we've had some. We had one Michigan came in. And he's never been back. We're not to allow such deceivers into our home for fellowship or into the church. You see, it's not possible for a Christian, a true Christian, to wish God's blessing on a deceiver. Does that make any sense? Now, we may pray for him, that he may see the error of his ways and turn to embrace the full gospel of Christ, but Christian fellowship is not possible between the believer and the false teacher. And do I need to ask why? You know, we talked about it a bit in our study about a vibrant Christian fellowship We're not to fellowship with the works of darkness, are we? What happens when we do? Well, it'll make it appear that we approve of their false teachings and that may cause someone to stumble. And it may be us. But don't miss the point that transgressors are not members of the Church of God. And I'm going to repeat that statement. Because there seem to be many people who don't realize this. (laughs) transgressors are not members of the church of God. Now it's true that tares were sown by the enemy among the wheat in their organization, but the tares are not members of the church of of God. Jesus himself said they're to be burned, gathered and burned. Those who have the agape of God are commandment keepers and not transgressors. They are law-abiding members. <laughs> Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. Don't we have that? We've used this many times, a description of the saints in Revelation 14, 12. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that do what? Keep the commandments of God. They're not transgressors and the faith of Jesus. A description of a united church in Christ all for one. Beloved, this is so important to understand. Because we're coming to the point of no return very quickly. The beast is setting things into order so that he can enforce his mark upon mankind. Soon there's going to be a public dividing line between the church of Christ and the church of Antichrist. But like I said before, it starts now. When you hear the gospel of Christ, it starts now for you, that dividing line. That may be public, it may not be public. But soon it's going to be public and it's going to be worldwide. And the miracles and the deceptions will be incredible. So much so that if it were possible... God's word says the disciples of Christ should be deceived. In fact, some will depart from the truth. Some will depart from the doctrine of Christ that's found in his word. Paul tells us. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, he said, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, he says, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They're going to tell them what they really want. and They're not going to tell them that they're sinners in need of a Savior. All you need to do is love. But it's the wrong kind of love. Because the true agape is going to lead to keeping God's commandments. That's how we express our love to Jesus. Paul says in verse 4, "...and they shall turn away." their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. They'll believe the fables. And I'll tell you, friends, the devil has a false unity in his church. It appears to be unified. That's the deception. It doesn't have the love of God as the basis. No, he has a false unity. It's called compromise and flattery. Let's take a look at Psalms chapter 5. In verse 9. The Psalmist says, For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their inward part, their heart, he's saying, is wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. That's a grave. They flatter with their tongue." Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. You see what the description is of these people? But the apparent unity of Satan's church is popular. I mean, there are many members, and that's what we need to go by, isn't it? Well, surely the truth being spoken there because they have 10,000 members or they have 50 members or they have 30 members. Isn't that what is to catch our eye? Isn't that what leads us to the truth? Well, there are thousands upon thousands who think so. Jesus said a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. And the world will know that you are my disciples because you have love one for another. Is it numbers or is it love? Now, the devil's form of unity is pleasing to the senses, but it doesn't work. It's not a true unity. And it never works because it's based upon compromise. It's based upon presumption, flattery. The foundation is error. That's not the truth. But God's unity works because it's based on love and truth. And I prefer the unity that's found in Christ. What about you? And if found in Christ, it's going to be found in His church. Isn't it true that by beholding we become changed? We become what we think about, don't we? We become what we dwell upon. As Christians, we need to train our minds to dwell upon Jesus Christ. That's what we profess. We need to dwell upon His Word. We need to dwell upon His goodness. The doctrine of Christ. So as we dwell upon the character of Christ, we become more united with Him, and thus we become more united with each other. 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, what's he say? Knoweth not God, for God is love. You see, the way to learn to love is to learn about God. To fasten the mind upon Him until the mind assimilates His character, His goodness. And I'll tell you, friends, if we will spend time dwelling upon the character of God, our whole idea of love will change and our characters will change and the bonds of unity will strengthen look at verse 9 so scripture reading for today in this was manifested the love of god toward us because that god sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him herein is love agape not that we loved god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the substitute, the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. See, John's saying if we don't love one another, we don't know God. He says we also ought to love one another. God loved us and if we we know Him, we're going to love one another. We're going to love each other because our minds and our characters are going to be changed by the love of God. And I'll tell you, friends, earnestly, we will never become like God. We will never love each other as God loves us unless we somehow find time in our daily schedule to spend time with Him. And unless we train our minds by His grace to dwell upon Him. We will never be united with His people and be members of His church if we spend time dwelling unless we spend time dwelling upon Jesus and His character. We'll never love each other as Christ loves us if we don't dwell on the doctrine of Christ. And when we do, you know what's going to happen? It's going to be more of Jesus and less of us. Self is going to die. And humility is going to take its place. You believe that? We'll begin to love each other as Jesus loves us. We're going to esteem others better than ourselves, and this is what Paul says in Philippians two, verse three. He says, "Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory." That's what the disciples were doing. They weren't in unity. Yeah, they were all together. They were following Jesus, but they weren't united. And Paul says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Now, I want to consider this verse for just a moment. What is meant by strife and vainglory? Well, the Greek word for strife is Strong's number 2052. It's eretheia, And it means selfishness, selfish ambition, partisanship, contention. Sounds kind of like Congress of the United States, doesn't it? Strife. The Greek word for vainglory strong is Strong's 2754. kenodoxia, And it means empty pride, groundless self-esteem, self-conceit. So we're, we're to do nothing that is prompted by selfish ambition or a desire to outdo others. Nothing. Not even for an end that is good in itself. you see friends the ends don't justify the means that's the devil's motto it's not all for one it's the ends justify the means then paul said but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves lowliness of mind what's that mean we well, you know it's the combination of two greek words Topenos, which means humble or lowly and phroneo which means to think and the two words together form one big Greek word, tapenophroseo. It means tapenophrosene. I said it wrong the first time. Which means humiliation of mind, humbleness of mind. I like that part. Humility of mind. Well, So when he says lowliness of mind, he's saying a humbleness that starts in your mind. Tapenophroseneo. It's a big word. It's hard. Basically, (laughs) no, it basically means to have a humble opinion of oneself. And the one who's truly humble is not aware of his humility. Doesn't that make sense? A truly humble person, they assign themselves a low position in comparison with others. They'll do the, the small things that, you know, others will say, oh, I'm never going to do that. Well, they, they humbly do that, lovingly do that. And when we dwell upon Christ, we'll become humble as he was humble. And the members of his church will be humble people who esteem each other better than themselves. They will be united by, you see, the love of Christ. And his character will be reflected in each of them. They will be united. They will be unanimous. As the disciples were there on that day of Pentecost. Notice this as I close up, part one. Manuscript releases, volume 18, page 162. Those who are in any way connected with the church of God must be humble, revealing the meekness of Christ. Jesus tried to teach us this, he tried to teach his disciples this. He said, In Matthew 23, verse 11, he said, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. The principle that Jesus is giving us here, you see, it strikes at the very root of pride or the desire to exalt oneself in the opinion of others. The Bible tells us that pride and selfishness is the root of all sin. The kingdom of heaven is essentially a matter of rendering service to God and to one's fellow men, not of receiving it from them. So you see, friends, true love is essentially a matter of giving love rather than of demanding it. (laughs) And he is greatest who loves God and his fellow men most and serves them best while putting himself last. This is what Jesus was trying to teach us. And there will never be Friends, there will never exist true unity in the home or in the church while someone is striving for first place. So we must, by God's grace, become humble. And it starts with allowing Jesus on the throne of our heart. And some think that such unity is impossible because we're all so different. But remember that the disciples were not all alike. And yet the cross of Christ united them. Jesus didn't make them robots where they all became the you know identical. No, they still had different opinions. They had different personalities, likes and dislikes. Yet they were all of one accord. How? How is that possible? Well, we're going to find out as we continue the study next time we get together. But remember, that love is the basis of true unity. Agape is the basis of true unity. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we again thank you so much for this Holy Sabbath day. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we find in your word truth. We find in your word our true condition. We find in your word hope. Hope that we can be united with you, united with each other, unanimously for all eternity. Lord, give us a grace to that end that we may never fall away. Help us, Lord, to overcome. We know time is short. Help us also to reach souls with the doctrine of Christ. And keep this day holy, for Thou art holy. We pray in the blessed name of Jesus, who is worthy. Amen.